Take your Bibles and turn with me to Luke chapter 2. We'll be there momentarily, but I'd like to uh, read something that I read by one of our church members this week regarding the Satanic Club at Chimney Rock Elementary. This is by Joe Hardy. He's one of the finest uh, men of God I know. He and his wife, Deanna, are precious people, and they've been at Bellevue for a long time, but uh, I hope he doesn't mind me reading what he wrote, but uh, I just thought it was so good that I didn't really want to add to it or take away from it. So listen to this, and I concur with him 100% response to the Satanic Club at Chimney Rock Elementary. You may have seen the news that a group has announced an intention to start an after-school Satanic Club at Chimney Rock Elementary. A number of Bellevue members are involved in an after-school Bible club at this school, and these efforts by the Satanic Temple are in response to this Bible club. There are many who do not feel that religious groups of any kind should be allowed to hold activities in public schools, and there are others who specifically do not want anything associated with Christianity allowed into the schools. Many do not understand the well-established law in this area and hold the erroneous belief that allowing religious groups into public schools is unconstitutional. This issue was put to rest by the Supreme Court in 2001. In Good News Club versus Milford Central School, 53 U.S. in 2001, the Supreme Court held that where a school district allowed for groups and clubs to use its facilities for extracurricular activities to then discriminate against those of a religious nature was an unconstitutional violation of free speech. Accordingly, where a school district allows for its facilities to be used for extracurricular activities, Bible clubs or any other religious clubs can, cannot be prohibited. When opponents of after-school religious clubs discover that these clubs are allowed to legally meet, a common strategy is, is to then attempt to start a satanic club in an effort to shock or scare people, or parents, faculty, or the school district. The, go the goal is to stir up fear so that all after-school clubs are shut down and the Bible club itself is ended. In most cases, the satanic club is never even started. And if it is started, few, if any, children ever attend. This is a very old strategy that unfortunately has resulted in many schools canceling all extracurricular clubs out of unfounded fear. Satan comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Can I have an amen on that one? All right. It is our hope that the children of our county will not be robbed of good extracurricular activities out of a fear of an enemy who has already been defeated. How should we respond? Number one, pray that God will crush all efforts to remove Bible clubs from our public schools. Number two, pray that he will raise up volunteers to go into our schools with the gospel. It does little good to stand up and protest against Satan's work if we're not willing to do God's work. Amen. I'm going to read that one again. It does little good to stand up and protest against Satan's work if we're not willing to do God's work. Number three, ask God if he would have you volunteer in a Bible club. 
in one of our schools. Number four, inform people of the truth. Explain that this is not an effort to start a satanic club, but it is merely a ploy to end the Bible clubs. The superintendent of the Shelby County Schools and the Board of Education have responded appropriately. They have no legal right to keep this club from meeting, and they should not be in any way criticized for the way they have handled this issue. All throughout God's Word, God tells us, fear not. We support the school districts in Shelby County and the surrounding area, and we pray that they will not afford any weight to these efforts to steal away extracurricular activities and then enhance and enrich, that enhance and enrich the education of the students in our great city and country. Folks, in this wicked day, we have to be as wise, this is me talking now, as a serpent, as innocent as a dove, because we are sheep among wolves. Thank you, Joe Hardy. Very well said. If you want to get involved volunteering for either an after-school Bible club or a Rise to Read, take out your phone. I'll tell you how to do it right now, all right? Now, some of y'all should be moving right now, all right? And text the word school to 901-901. There'll be a little form there indicating what information you'd like. Fill that out, and somebody on our missions team will get with you that information soon. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this well-written statement by Joe Hardy. I thank you for his love for you. I thank you, Lord, for his sweet family, and Lord, uh, they are many generations here at Bellevue. Thank you, Lord, for him. Such a well-written, such a wise word in a day of so much uh, misleading statements, God. I pray that you would be with uh, all the schools in our county and, Lord, across the Mid-South that we would have Bible clubs in every single one of them. And I pray that Jesus will be exalted. In Jesus' name we pray. And if you agree with that, say amen. amen. All right. That's not my sermon, though. And i got to find my sermon. So y'all just uh, talk to each other real quick. <laughs> All right. Got it. And I'm so quick. I'm so smooth with all that stuff. Donna's down there going, help him, Lord, help him. All right. Every year at this time, Donna and I like to watch old Christmas movies. Old Christmas movies. And one of my favorites is Miracle on 34th Street. How many of you ever read that? Woo, got Man, somebody amen that. All right. The story in that movie takes place between Thanksgiving and Christmas in New York City, and the plot was for Santa Claus, a.k.a. Kris Kringle, trying to convince a little girl to believe that it was really him. Now, I'm not going to go into details. It's a real cute movie. It won, back in the day, three Academy Awards. This was the original one in 1947, right after World War II. But indeed, Miracle on 34th Street has become a perennial Christmas 
favorite. I've already watched it. I think Donna was watching it with me. If not, we'll watch it again. It'll be fine with me. But I want to ask you a question. Do you believe in miracles? How many of you believe in miracles? Anybody? You know why I believe in miracles? Because the Bible believes in miracles. I believe in miracles because God believes in miracles, and I believe the Bible. In fact, the Bible begins with a miracle. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That's miraculous, is it not? And the last verses in the Bible in Revelation talk about the second coming of Jesus. So that's miraculous, is it not? So it begins and it ends with a miracle. It's a miraculous book. But the greatest miracles in the Bible are all about Jesus. I was reading and my wife told me about this guy, Peter Stoner, a Christian writer, the chairman of mathematics and astronomy at Pasadena College back in the 1950s. He wrote a book called Science Speaks. He concluded that the prospect of anyone fulfilling just eight prophecies about Jesus' birth and childhood was just one in 10 to the 17th power. That's a 10 with 17 zeros. That's, I don't even know how you pronounce it. Stoner describes it by saying, suppose we took 10 to the 17th power silver dollars, laid them on the face of Texas. They will cover all the state two feet deep. Now mark one of those silver dollars and stir the whole mass thoroughly all over the state. Blindfold one man, tell him to travel as far as he wishes. But he must pick up just one silver dollar and say that that's the right one. What chance would he have of getting the right one? The same chance that the prophets would have had of writing these eight prophecies and having all of them come true in only one man. And if you got lost in that, just listen to it on YouTube and you can get it back again, all right? But Jesus' fulfillment of messianic prophecies is one of the greatest reasons we know that the Bible is the Word of God and that Jesus is the Messiah, the Christ. So I want to talk to you this morning about miracles of the first Christmas. Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 20. First of all, in the first Christmas, we see a miraculous promise. A miraculous promise. Look at verse 1. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that a census be taken of all the inhabited earth. This was the first census taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria. Every time I read this, I'm amazed. God used this pagan emperor, Caesar Augustus, to fulfill a prophecy by the Old Testament prophet Micah, and Caesar didn't have a clue that he was helping fulfill scriptural prophecy. Caesar Augustus was probably the most powerful man in the world in the first century. He led the Roman Empire. The Roman Empire lasted for a thousand years. That's why Hitler wanted to have a thousand year reign with his Nazi regime. And under Augustus, Caesar Augustus, there were 45 million people 
in the Roman Empire. Only four million were Roman citizens. The rest were subservient civilians. The city of Rome was the largest city in the world at that time with just over a million people. And here you have Joseph and Mary, two little poor people living in the little bitty town of Nazareth under Roman law, and God sovereignly moved Joseph and Mary, she's pregnant with Jesus, to Bethlehem because of this man's edict for everybody to go back and to make sure that they signed up and they were registered. God moved Joseph and Mary to Bethlehem, back to his hometown, their hometown, where the Old Testament prophet said that Messiah would be born. Let me read it to you out of Micah chapter 5, verses 2 through 5. But as for you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you one will go forth for me to be the ruler in Israel. That's Jesus. His goings forth are from long ago, from the days of eternity. That's the eternality of Jesus Christ. He's always existed. He always will. Therefore, he will give them up until the time that she who is in labor has borne a child. There's the virgin birth. Then the remainder of his brethren will return to the sons of Israel, and he will arise and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they will remain because at that time he will be great to the ends of the earth. This one will be our peace. Let's thank the Lord for the Lord Jesus Christ right now. Amen. Amen. So here you've got a totally pagan emperor, and God is channeling his heart to fulfill the promise of Micah, the prophet in the Old Testament. It reminds me of what Solomon said, that God can use even pagan kings. Proverbs 21, verse 1, the king's heart is like channels of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he wishes. That king didn't have that idea on his own. God put that in his heart because he wanted to make sure that the prophecy was fulfilled. Then Luke tells us about Joseph and Mary's trip to Bethlehem. Look at verse 3 in Luke chapter 2. Everyone was on his way to register for the census, each to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the city of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem because he was of the house and the family of David. In order to register along with Mary, <coughs> who was engaged to him, and was with child. And God timed their trip perfectly to fulfill the prophecy. Look at verse 6. While they were there, the days were completed. This is the sovereignty of God for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him in cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Jesus was rejected even at his birth by this wicked world in which we live. No room in the inn. Well, there was at least one room. The innkeeper could have given up his room. So don't tell me there wasn't room. But the world doesn't make much room for Jesus. And you know, later on in his ministry, Jesus would say these famous words in Matthew 8, 20, the foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his Head, not even as a little baby. 
Yet this miraculous promise from the prophet Micah was fulfilled and God performed another miracle. Again, do you believe in miracles? I do. I think about there's so many miracles in the Bible. One of my favorite miracles is when Peter and James got arrested by Herod. Herod was such a wicked person. He immediately took the head off, beheaded James. And then he planned to behead Peter at the end of Passover. But the Bible says something took place that changed everything. Don't tell me prayer doesn't change things. The Bible says in Acts 12, verse 5, Peter was kept in the prison, but prayer. Everybody say, but prayer. But prayer for him was being made fervently. It's only the second time in the Bible in the New Testament that prayer is referred to as fervent prayer by the church to God. They were praying fervently. The only other time that we see the word fervently applied to prayer is when Jesus is praying and he's praying so much he is sweating like drops of blood. And the Bible says he was in Gethsemane. They made fervent prayer by the church. And God answered their fervent prayer. Don't you tell me that God doesn't answer prayer. Don't you tell me that God doesn't change situations when God's people pray and they pray their hearts out to the Lord. It's never, time spent in prayer is never wasted time. You lay up treasure in heaven by praying. It's burning incense that will last forever. Notice what happened when they prayed. God sent an angel and things started happening. Go on and read in Acts 12, on the very night when Herod was about to bring Peter forward, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains. Guards in front of the door were watching over the prison. Behold, an angel of the Lord suddenly appeared and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter's side, woke him up saying, get up quickly. And his chains fell off his hands. And the angel said to him, gird yourself and put on your sandals. And he did so. And he said to him, wrap your cloak around you and follow me. And he went out. Don't you just like the way that guy talks? He's to the point. Amen. I like, I like that angel. All right. And he went out and continued to follow. And he did not know, Peter didn't know, that what was being done by the angel was real, but thought he was seeing a vision. And when they had passed the first and second guard, they came to the iron gate that leads into the city, which opened for them by itself. How many of you ever heard somebody say, God opened doors for me? Well, he can. He can. That angel had it going on here. And they went out and went along one street. Immediately the angel departed from him. I like that. He didn't say, would you like to thank me? He just did God's will and went right on. He didn't need anybody to brag on him and thank him or anything. He departed from him. When Peter came to himself, he said, now I know for sure that the Lord has sent forth his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all that the Jewish people were expecting. Now, shortly after this, God killed Herod. He killed him. He killed him. If you read about it, it doesn't say that he died and the worms ate him. It said that the worms ate him and then he died. Just thought I'd throw that in <laughs> to let you know that God took care of that guy. But Peter went right on preaching the gospel. Amen. You don't have to defend yourself against your enemies. 
God will do that. God will do that. Many people don't believe in miracles until they need one. One day you might need a miracle. You'll start believing in them. God still performs miracles. He still miraculously saves lost people. God still heals sick people. God still sets sinful people free from spiritual bondage. Jeremiah 32, 17. Ah, Lord God, behold, you've made the heavens and the earth by your great power and your outstretched arm. Read the next part with me out loud, good and strong. Nothing is too difficult for you. Let's give him praise right now in his house. Amen. I like Matthew 19, 26. Looking at them, Jesus said to them, with God, with people, this is impossible. But with God, read the last part with me, all things are possible. God can even take an old crusty Caesar, pagan as he can be, immoral, probably a drunkard. God channeled his heart to make sure that Jesus would be born in Bethlehem. What a miraculous promise. Notice, secondly, in the first Christmas, we also see not only the miraculous promise, but we see miraculous praise. Look at verse 8. Miraculous praise. In the same region, there were some shepherds staying out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. The angels announced Jesus' birth to shepherds first. These are poor people, common people, not kings, not political leaders, not priests, not religious leaders, not wealthy businessmen, not entrepreneurs, but common people, the hoi polloi, the lower class. It shouldn't surprise us that Jesus' earthly ministry was primarily to common people. The Bible says in Mark chapter 12, verse 37, the common people heard Jesus gladly. Paul said the same thing when he wrote to the Corinthians. He said in Corinthians chapter 1, verses 26 and following, for you see your calling. He's talking to the Corinthian, the Corinthian Christians, brethren, that not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. You know what he just said? He said, y'all are not very smart. There's not many wise people among you guys. Not many mighty, not many noble not, are called. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put the shame, to shame the wise. God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty. And the base things of the world and the things which are despised, God has chosen. And the things which are not to bring to nothing the things that are, so that no flesh may glory in his presence. God loves common people. He uses common people. That's why there's so many of us. God just uses common people. Look at verse 9. An angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. These are the shepherds, and they were terribly frightened. But the angel said to them, Don't be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people perfect description of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's good news. This is good news. If you're looking for good news on the internet 
or on television, you won't find it. You want some good news? Open your Bible and read about Jesus. It's good news of great joy, and it's, praise God, it's not just for a few, it's for all the people. Look at verse 11, for today in the city of David, there's been born for you a Savior who is Christ, who is the Lord. This little baby boy is the Savior. He would seek and save that which was lost. He's the Christ. He's the anointed one. He's the Messiah. He's the Lord. He's King of kings and Lord of lords, even though he's just laying there as a little baby. Jesus is anointed. He's the Messiah. He's the King. He came to say, verse 12, this will be a sign for you. You're going to find a little baby wrapped in cloths, lying in a manger. Indeed, a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a cave or a, a barn somewhere in a manger. That's unusual to say the least. So as soon as the angel addressed the shepherds, multitudes of angels began worshiping God. Look at verse 13. And suddenly, this is so good. Read these two verses with me. Read, read them with me now. And suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among men with whom he is pleased. Let's read that last verse again. Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among men with whom he is well pleased. That's miraculous praise. Now, if you don't like that, don't go to heaven. That's the way they praise the Lord in heaven. You say, how do you know what they do in heaven? I got a Bible. And my Bible says in Revelation 4 that that's how they're praising God in heaven. I think I'll just read it to you. After these things I looked, John said, and behold, a door standing open in heaven. That's what I want to see. When I, get, when I die, I want to see an open door leading to heaven, don't you? Amen. I don't want that door to be shut. Standing open in heaven in the first voice, which I heard like the sound of the trumpet speaking with me said, come up here and I'll show you what must take place after these things. Immediately I was in the spirit and behold, a throne was standing in heaven. One sitting on the throne. He who was sitting was like a Jasper stone. This is God almighty, a sardius in appearance. And there was a rainbow around the throne, like an emerald in appearance around the throne there were 24 thrones, and upon the thrones I saw 24 elders sitting, clothed in white garments and golden crowns on their head. Out from the throne came flashes of lightning and sounds and peals of thunder, and there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. That's the Holy Spirit. And before the throne, there was something like a sea of glass, like crystal in the center and around the throne, four living creatures full of eyes in front and behind. The first creature was like a lion. The second creature was like a calf. The third creature was like a face, like had a face like that of a man. The fourth creature was like a flying eagle. And the four living creatures, each one of them having six wings, are full of eyes around and within. And day and night, they don't cease to say, holy, 
Holy, holy is the Lord God, the Almighty, who was and who is and who is to come. And when the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne, to him who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders will fall down before him who sits on the throne and will worship him who lives forever and ever and will cast their crowns before his throne saying, worthy are you, O Lord our God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and because of you your will they existed and were created you talk about miraculous praise you think you think we praise god down here some of y'all think we're a little too loud sometimes you better get ready for heaven because they're shouting in heaven if you don't like shouting here you're probably not going to like heaven because they're shouting praises unto god miraculous praise and that's what the angels were doing as they told those little shepherds about Jesus. They couldn't handle it. They just broke out in praise. I have people ask me sometimes, well, why do you praise the Lord? Well, you got an hour or two? Let me just give you a few reasons. I praise him because he's my creator. The Bible says in Colossians 1.16, for by him all things were created both in the heavens and on the earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones and dominions, rulers and authorities. All things have been created by him, and read the last part with me, and for him. Yes, God's our creator. I'll praise him for that. I'll praise him also that he's my provider. How many of you have God has ever come through for you in provision? Anybody out there? When you didn't know how you were going to make it, when you didn't, when there was more month than there was money. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? God came through. Philippians 4.19, and my God, I like the way he put that my in there, will supply all your needs, all your needs, all your needs. How many needs? All your needs. According to his riches, not yours, according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. I praise him that he's my provider. I praise him that he's my protector, don't you? 2 Timothy 4.18, the Lord will rescue me, Paul said, from every evil deed. This is almost the final thing that Paul wrote before he died. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. And then he got so happy, he just went into a doxology. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. God's our protector. And then most of all, God's our Savior. What a praise His name for being our Savior. Romans 1.16, Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. If you don't like praising the Lord, you're probably not saved. If you don't like praising the Lord, you're sure not full of the Holy Spirit. If you don't like praising the Lord, you're not on your way to heaven. Because that's one of the main things we do. Oh, we serve him. We'll serve him in heaven as well. But we praise him. You need to get to where you love to praise the Lord. First Christmas, there was miraculous praise. In the first Christmas, we see miraculous, a miraculous promise. Jesus being born of a virgin. A miraculous praise. Heavenly angels celebrating Christ's birth. But the final thing we see is this. In the first Christmas, we see miraculous proclamation. Those shepherds turned into preachers. Look at verse 15. When the angels had gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds began saying to one another, let us go straight to Bethlehem then 
and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. So they came in a hurry and found their way to Mary and Joseph and the baby as he lay in the manger. The shepherd, the shepherds were inspired by their angelic visit. They made a beeline to Bethlehem. They went straight and found Mary and Joseph. They found Jesus lying in the manger and everything was just like the angels had told them. And when they saw Jesus, they just poured out this miraculous proclamation of what the angel had told them to say. They shared with Joseph and Mary. Don't you know this was a comfort to Joseph and Mary's heart. When somebody comes along and just gives you a word that's from God, doesn't that give you comfort? Here's Joseph, here's Mary. They're in a barn. Their son's in a stable and he's down in a manger and here come these people out of nowhere and say, hey, whoa, wait, you guys are the one that the angels told us about. The angels came and told us all about this and these shepherds are pouring out their heart and I can just see Joseph and Mary saying, well, praise God. That's a confirmation. That's a confirmation that we're in the will of God. They shared with Joseph and Mary what the angel had told them. Verse 17, when they had seen this, they made known the statement which had been told them about this child. They started preaching. And then the townspeople heard the news and they were in awe. Look at verse 18. And all who heard it wondered at the things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary treasured all these things in her heart. That word treasure means there she held it closely to herself and she analyzed it. Mentally, she analyzed everything the shepherds had said to her. She remembered back when Gabriel had come to her, talked about this last week, and told her nine months earlier that she would be the mother of the Messiah way back in Nazareth. And now Jesus was born and the shepherds were calling him the Christ. And she knew for sure that she was right in the middle of the will of God. I want to tell you something. It's better to be in the will of God in a barn than it is to be out of the will of God in a castle. This girl was right in the middle of the will of God. And verse 18 says, all who heard it wondered at the things which were told them by the shepherds, but Mary treasured all these things, pondering them in her heart. Then the shepherds returned to their flocks outside of Bethlehem. They worshiped the Lord every step of the way home. The Bible says in verse 20, the shepherds went back glorifying, praising God for all that they had heard and seen just as they had been told. They came, they delivered the goods, they gave the message that God had given them. They gave a miraculous proclamation and God used it to encourage the hearts of Joseph and Mary. I can remember when I was in elementary school and I thought, I can remember my pastor, Dr. Robert Orr, and Bob Orr, we call him, and he was uh, such a sweet man of God. But I, I looked up to him, and I thought, boy, if you're going to be a preacher, you got to be somebody like Dr. Orr, and he's got this majestic look and all that. But then we sang this little song about the drummer boy, the little drummer boy. And I, for somehow, I, some reason, I identify with that little drummer boy. I thought, you know, if that drummer boy... If, if he can proclaim about Jesus, maybe I can. Come, they told me, pum. I have no idea what pum means, <laughs> except he's beating on his drum. That's all I know. 
a newborn king to see, pa-rum-pa-pum-pum. Our finest gifts we bring to lay before the king, pa-rum-pa-pum-pum. So to honor him when we come. Little baby, pa-rum-pa-pum-pum. I'm a poor boy too. I have no gift to bring that's fit to give our king. Shall I play for you? Pa-rum-pa-pum-pum. On my drum? Mary nodded. Pa-rum-pa-pum-pum. The ox and the lamb kept time. I played my drum for him. I played my best for him. And then he smiled at me. Pa-rum-pa-pum-pum. Me and my drum. You can be a little boy and proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. You don't have to be a preacher. You don't have to have a pulpit to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. There are people that will listen to you that will never listen to me. You hear what I'm talking about? You know people that would never darken the door of Bellevue Baptist Church for whatever reason. They're not bad people. Some of them have been hurt. Some of them have been wounded. But they won't come to this church. And if I tried to share the gospel with them, they knew who I was, they'd write me off. But they'd listen to you because you work with them. You live in their neighborhood. They see you pulling out every Sunday morning. They're wondering what it's all about. And you listen to what I'm about to say. I'm not just saying this. People are more open to the gospel of Jesus Christ at Christmas time than any other time of the year. You say, well, what do I do? Well, share your testimony about how you got saved. Open up a conversation. Just be nice to them. Ask them how their day is going and just engage with them. You've got to start with being kind and nice. And when you do that, if there's any way to share the gospel, do it. At least if you don't invite them to Jesus, invite them to church. We're having a service on Christmas Eve at 10 o'clock. Invite them to that. Invite them and ask them to come and be part of the family of God. If you get the chance, just tell them that Christmas is about Jesus being given so that we can have salvation through Him, so we can have all our sins forgiven, so the Holy Spirit can come and live within us, so we can repent of our sins and believe in Jesus and receive Him as our Lord and Savior. It's not hard. It's not complicated. And I'm telling you, I'm telling you, people will listen to you, especially right about now. Between now and the end of the year, it's very probable that God's got somebody lined up for you to somehow share the gospel with them. Get some of these gospel tracts. There they are right over there by that tree, right over there. Get some of these gospel tracts and just hand them one of those. Did you know 
I had a professor tell me one time in seminary, they said they did a survey, and before the gospel track is finally thrown away, seven different people will read it if you just pass out a gospel track. Anybody can do that. You can share your testimony. Tell them about what it was like before you got saved, what it was like when you got saved, and what it's like now that you are saved. It's simple. Just do it. Do it. Take a moment and let God let you give out miraculous proclamation about Jesus. Oh, do you believe in miracles, preacher? I sure do. I believe Christmas is filled with miracles. I look at this text and I see the miraculous promise of Jesus being born of a virgin. I see that miraculous praise, all those angels celebrating God. I'm going to be with them one of these days. You are too if you know the Lord. Miraculous proclamation, these shepherds turning into preachers, sharing the angelic message. Oh, yeah. I believe in miracles. I believe the greatest verse about miracles is the greatest verse in the Bible, John 3, 16. Let's read it together. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Sweet little Jesus boy, born in a manger, sweet little holy child. We didn't know who you We didn't know you came to save us, Lord. Look how we treated you. Our eyes were blind. We could not see. We didn't know it was you. Sweet little Jesus boy. Born long ago in a manger, sweet little holy child. Lord, we didn't know who you were, but we know who he is now, don't we? Let's give him praise for Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.